And she's like, hey, I think we should move to Las Vegas. Keep in mind, I just started a business and I just formed a new partnership. And so I looked at her and I'm like, okay, hold on a second. So I just started making connections in my real estate business. I just started a partnership and I'm thinking about quitting my job and you want to move across the country. Is that correct? Am I hearing this right? She's like, yep, that's exactly what I'm asking. And I'm like, okay, well, looking back, I don't even know what justified me to actually make that decision, but this is how this kind of transpired. And we, we can get into more detail. I'm sure you guys have follow-up questions on this. I met my business partner. We were in business for three months. We did two deals together. I quit my full-time job in four, four months after doing a few deals, literally three deals. And I sold my house. And I moved into a short-term apartment lease for three months until we found our spot in Las Vegas and just left. Like we moved across the country and uh, it, it was so wild looking back and even saying that out loud. Welcome to RIA Radio, episode 102 with Michael McDonald. He had the, really? He had the, <laughs> he had the arms spread like an opera singer. Like <laughs> la 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 la. You're listening to Rio Radio, the nationally trusted name in real estate investing. We dig deep to discover investors' why in real estate. If you want to skip all the BS and get in investors' heads, you're in the right spot. Be one of the thousands to check out RioRadio.com. <laughs> He's so expressive. Oh man, getting all the, like getting all the body language up in there. Dentless is stoned today or something. He's so giggly. Listen, I love to laugh. <laughs> Laughing is the heat of the nation. It heals the soul. Exactly. Mm. You should try it, Ted. Okay, you needed some whole ceiling wall. Some what? whole ceiling. <laughs> I don't. I don't know where that came some from. Some soul healing is what he was trying to say. <laughs> you needed some soul healing when you walked in here. I need some whole ceiling. So today uh, I'm going to be working on sealing all my holes, yeah, like, apparently, yeah. in the intro. I'm going to try and take care of that. So let's talk about the move of our uh, our podcast studio from one room to another room in your, in your Airbnb unit. And Ted, I w- if you could just describe for people listening to this, what what happened the other day? Do I, when, re- when, do, do I really got to mention this? Yeah, you do. So... <laughs> So set the stage for us. So Carson was home from school that day, right? He was yeah. not feeling well. Yep. So I take him around with me to all, all my meetings. Yep. So te- <laughs> so Carson is an unpaid real estate agent uh, slash investor uh, during this day. And then you come here to do what? What exactly? Well, Denless is like, we're going to move the studio to the living room of this apartment that we use. And we have a lot of you know tiles, which are not up. So that's why you're hearing an echo today. And as I'm, I'm getting the last, the the last tile down, and I tile I, meaning they're like foam squares that you put yeah, up, soundproofing like tiles, acoustic tiles, some yeah. treatment, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm grabbing the last one. It's in the tallest corner, and I, I there's no ladders in here or anything. So I, I grab a chair, which is an office chair, and I'm standing, I'm reaching that has wheels on it. Thank you. Don't forget that part. I'm reaching, and it slips as I'm reaching for it, and. 
I fall into the production uh, desk, which has all of the equipment, the TV screen, everything, the hard drive, and I and I break the I break the dang thing in half, and the TV stands all busted now, and now it's crooked for Dunless, and and uh, I mean it was. Uh, no, so no, no big, no big bruises. So he's holding up his arms right now to look at the bruises as a result <laughs> of this fall. So there's a okay. The, how long before I show up did this happen? Five minutes. Five minutes. So he's. T- I don't know any of this is going on. And then Ted's like, "Oh yeah, I'll I'll break this down. And I'm going to move this. I don't have my tools with me or whatever." So he's like on the struggle bus with this whole move thing. And I'm like, "All right, I gotta. I, I just wanted to." show up for morbid curiosity to see what was happening and sure enough after i walk in i'm five minutes late to see <laughs> to see the disaster and then come to find out <clears throat> not throwing carson under the bus but uh carson i don't know how he either didn't hear this colossal crash he didn't care <laughs> he, he just there's things falling all over on top of ted and he's falling on top of things also and and then it's just one big carson's crash. just chilling in the other room, watching his iPad, and he's just like, "I'm sick, bro. What do you want? What do you want from me?" <laughs> like, Ted, Ted walks out like, "Dude, like, did you? Are do you care if I'm alive or whatever?" It was just hilarious for me to walk in. I think I'm he was, so glad. I, I think did. he was mad at me because he's like, he every time we come to this, he's like, "Where's Owen?" He thinks that you live here. <laughs> and Carson's like a big Owen fan, and so like, oh like, dude, I, like he's working, man. Like so, is he coming? <laughs> like no, he's not coming. Then he showed up. He thinks I live here. That's great. <laughs> this would be a great crash pad, though. He's been to your house once. We dropped off the your radio hat to your house when oh, we were yeah. at the airport. Yeah. And he's like, "This is Owen's house." He goes, "This is so nice. Why don't we live over here?" <laughs> yeah. That's oh awesome. my God, you can move in with me, Carson. When <laughs> Ted proves unfit for uh, parenthood, as it seems like that's the path he's on. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm a good dad. I I just volunteered for my daughter's uh, trip today. I, I I'm I'm coaching daughter's uh, basketball team. I'm coaching my son's flag or uh, tackle football team. I mean, what do I got to do good to impress you, anybody? How are you carving out? Like like what's your that's work, a lot. What's your work life, family life balance? Right? Yeah, now, Ted. Tell let's, us. Let's hear. Like what's what's my schedule look like? No. Yeah. What's no, your work life, family, family life, life balance? balance yeah. How do you do it? Well, you know, I, I time block. So after five o'clock, that's family time, Denless. Okay. And then I programmed out that uh, Tuesday and Thursdays is when I'm doing my practices at night. And you I, programmed it like on a computer? On my on my iPhone and my oh, calendar. Oh, you programmed it. I programmed it in that's, my brain. That's I cool. programmed it in my brain. Oh, okay. And then... Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then Sundays is the game day. Skyler's uh, practices are going to be on uh, Mondays and then games on Saturdays. And so for any of you looking to rob a house, <laughs> now you know Ted's full schedule. <laughs> so, yeah. So one thing that uh, you're going to love about Michael McDonald is he's doing commercials. He's doing he's doing radio. Uh, he's doing deals in 17 states. Um, he's got 15 employees, most, mostly VAs. Which yeah, that, we dig. That, that was mind blowing, yeah. Um, and he's doing this while you know he's been married to Regina for eight years. He's got two young children under the age of four, and he's and he's killing it. And he, what do you, how many deals did he say he was knocking out a in a given week? So Michael's doing a ton of deals, and he, this is the cool thing I I've always liked about uh, kind of like how he has set up his whole organization. He lived in Lincoln, Nebraska. His business partner with his uh, like buying and selling his transactional business is also located in Lincoln. And 
Michael basically started the business and then moved almost immediately. He like he's like, peace out. Thanks for being my partner. And then he moved to Vegas. Just like a couple months after. I know. And I'm like, <laughs> how did you do that? And like, how pissed off was your partner? And that was so we'll get into that in the episode. But he I I tell you what, I admire him for all of the systems and processes that he has put into place to be able to operate basically in a virtual fashion in his um you know, acquisition and selling business. And it's like he has done so many, so many things, so many deals over the years. And so you're going to learn about that, how he's basically grown the the business to support his lifestyle and the fact that uh, he's an EOS enthusiast. So for those of you uh, that are Traction fans or have heard of the book Traction, um, Entrepreneur Operating System, he has implemented that into their business and uh, used it to great effect. To, I, to scale up and hire people and manage it. And like, it's just, I, I don't know how he does it. I really don't. And if you listen to multiple podcasts or listen to people you look up to, you'll find that the EOS format is brought up so much. I even I know that even Brandon Turner brought it up and that he bases his whole company uh, off the uh, standard. So this is kind of funny about Mike, a little soundbite for you. About two weeks ago, I get a random text from... Uh, chick? Yes, my friend Holly that lives in uh, in Vegas. She lives actually in Henderson, Nevada, which is the same town that Michael McDonald lives in. And Holly's husband uh, runs multiple golf courses there, and one of them is called the Revere, which I've played. You, you talked talk about this in the yeah, po- in the and, interview, yeah. And so this, okay, so this is after the podcast interview with Michael. I get a text from Holly and says, "Hey." I think one of your friends uh, is at the Revere or whatever. And I'm like, I, I don't know who she's talking about at all because she gives me no context whatsoever. I mean, it's Vegas. Everybody goes there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and she's like, you know, there's a couple of back and forth. And I'm like, wait, is he like younger guy? Does, you know, like he's kind of like tall and, you know, thin or whatever. And I go, is this his first name? Michael. And then she texts me back a little bit later. Yes, and then, so it was. So Michael went there and apparently made the connection. Tried name dropping you. To yeah, get he name dropped me. So I'm just saying, I'm not. It's not like I'm a big deal, but he did name drop me. Did he give me anything? Even though, and you know, Michael has his own TV show coming up apparently. So I'm just saying, I'm kind of a big deal now. But Michael sounds like a bigger deal. He is <laughs> that. Yes. <laughs> so he trumped me on that, but I'm just saying, I'm I, I feel like kind of a big deal now because you know he. He mentioned my name. Uh, so you got a good podcast to get pay attention to. <laughs> All right, Ted. What have you been up to lately, man? Um, so we last time we kind of went over what was going on in the uh, Kosh portfolio. Mm-hmm. You had acquired a duplex. Mm-hmm. Um, you had partnered with somebody on that. That was kind of a big deal. Um, you also had a shit show with uh, Inspector. But yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so at 13, 16 house, uh, for about six months, I had, uh, I had some construction workers in there working on the local from the Air Force Base. They moved out. I was on the fence of selling that property because I, I had quite a bit of money. Wait, they were it. your uh, midterm rental guests, yep. right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yep. They moved out. And uh, my property manager, Austin, uh, <clears throat> while I was in the process of deciding if to sell or not, he's like, hey, man, I just got to rent it for $2,100 a month on a, on a long-term. Uh, I've, and I haven't done a long-term lease for probably four, three, four years now. So I, I, I agreed to do a long-term lease. Got a family moving there at $2,100 a month. So... I'm, nice. I'm a dude. That's killer. That like, what, good, what's yeah. this? Is your what? What my four bed, two bed, my four bed. What's uh, your PITI? What's my what? P-I-T-I? Your payment. Yeah, my payment on it's like uh, I think fourteen hundred bucks a month. Nice. And so yeah, I'll be making some uh, cash flow in that. Mm-hmm. 
And then I have a my house in Reese. It's it's just been Airbnb right now. It was going solid for over a year, you know, with midterms. And then I had to turn to Airbnb when my last electrician moved out. And so it's been hit and miss. I think I'm barely covering the bills. Maybe I'm losing a little bit on that one, but we'll see what happens with it. The uh, the building we're in right now, uh, I I have um, my now business partner uh, Tanner referred me a construct construction group. And every apartment in this building's been full, and it's going to be full through January with uh, foreman. Nice. And then uh, we, uh, Tanner and I bought a duplex, which I mentioned in the past. Um, hopefully, it'll be renovated by next Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, the guys that are staying up here have a whole bunch of workers coming into town. So originally, we're going to do like a high-end rehab of this place. But right now, we're just going to make it uh, just livable. And uh, and throw some used stuff in there, get make clean it up. It already f- fully functions, and uh, they're gonna put um, like ten or fifteen workers in there, and they're gonna rent it for like three thousand dollars the whole building. So we're uh, we're gonna do that, and then I have um, I got my I have a family home that I originally bought approximately about thirteen years ago, and uh, my grandma uh, needed a little bit more care, so she moved out. In that property, I started renovating it. Well, I put a pause on it just because I was cash flowing the whole rehab, started running low on funds. And then uh, I was struggling buying a construction or somebody gave me a construction loan on it to finish it. And I put about 60K of my own money into that. And uh, finally got um, Nate Keller with Cornhusker Bank uh, to agree to do really easily actually to do a loan for me. So we're doing a construction loan that funds uh, the day we get back from BP. And so I uh, praised it out, praised for almost 300000 uh for a futures appraisal. And uh, we're turning from a two-bed to a four-bed. We're going to go really high-end Airbnb on that one. And uh, we should have that whole thing wrapped up before the end of the year. And uh, one thing that really excites me about that project is uh, I'm I, we're doing everything on this, man. I mean, like this is now turning about $130,000 renovation. Uh, electrical, plumbing, high-end finishes. And I owe fifty. One or fifty-two thousand on the house, and uh, <laughs> and uh, what's the ARV? dude about three hundred? Wow! And, okay. and so I, I'm not not to interrupt you. I just want to add this. Yeah, <clears throat> I've done probably four hundred plus flips or you know projects, and since you know two thousand five, I have never spent that much money on a rehab. Holy balls! I cannot wait to. Stay in this place. It's gonna be pretty. <laughs> Is it gonna be an Airbnb? I hope so. Yeah, yeah. It will. Well, we're training. Like I said, we're training from a two bed to four bed. Um, it oddly had the. Uh, what was the? What's so? Why? Why so expensive? What? What's the deal with this? Uh, all the rafters and the ceilings were rotten. We found out, and mm-hmm. and then uh, we're we're moving the kitchen that was on the upstairs level to the main level. So we're moving a kitchen, and uh, I mean it. It's all new wiring, yeah, all yeah, new yeah. plumbing, yeah. Uh, yeah. roof, windows, uh, landscaping. Right. Yeah, you know, so it, it's it's a big flip. But when I bought this house, um, I bought it at market value, but I made a deal with my grandmother when I bought it that it would always stay in the family. And to, to honor that, I also need to make sure that it's ready to go for the next generation. And honestly, it was rent ready the day I bought it. I could have rented it. I could have been cash flowing money on it day one. But by doing this, when I pass this on to my son or my daughter uh, down the road, which I'll make them buy it from me or whatever I have into it, with the same stipulation that they can never sell it, this house isn't going to need 
new plumbing and new electrical uh, at that time. They'll have to maintain it, but all the all the heavy lifting stuff is already going to be done. Yeah. So it's it's ready for the next generation. Okay, I want to ask you this. So I'm and not to put you on the spot. This week I went through. <clears throat> so I met with my my folks and my sister and our family attorney to uh, go over estate plan and uh, will and trust and stuff like that with my my folks, right? And they're, you know, I'm I'm 48. My folks are uh, in their mid 70s, and they've done a phenomenal job of planning for you know like after they're gone. Which sucks to talk about, but it's a reality, especially for you know for people in you know the Gen X, uh, you know time frame right now. That's you know you're kind of the what do they call that when you have you have kids that you're caring for and you have parents that you're caring for at the same time. Not that I'm doing really any much of anything with my parents yet, thank God. But um, you know we're doing some tough planning, right? It's hard to talk about. It's stuff that's you know a lot of people, a lot of families have a tendency to kick the can on. Um, until it's too late and then you have to pick up the pieces and then you're dealing with, with, you know, typically siblings, like you'll have, and I'm describing this from experience because I deal with a lot of families that have, um, an inherited home where they have an estate sale situation where you have parents that passed away and maybe they didn't do, they, maybe they didn't do a great job of planning or maybe they did, but you generally, you have like a sibling that is probably in town. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you have others or like one other or multiple others that live outside of town that are armchair quarterbacks. And so they always have an opinion like, oh, well, you could sell it for more than that. Or like the house is worth more than that. Or like, you know what I mean? And then the the person that's dealing with everything is the one, the boots on the ground. And they're like, you have no idea. Like, and it, it's, it sucks dealing with that whole thing. My parents have done, thank goodness. And like kudos to them. They've done such a good job planning this. Um, but we've had, I have a lot of moving parts with my businesses and everything. And my, my parents, you know, um, have worked with our family attorney and our family attorney actually had a stroke, uh, pretty recently. And he was a long time, like he's been my parents attorney and my, my family attorney for 30, 40 years. Right. And he, and he's sharp as a tack. And then he all of a sudden wasn't. And then all of his stuff, all of his files went over to a different attorney in his office. And now we met with him for the first time, or at least I did. So it's kind of like going through that whole process is very eye-opening if you have never been through it before. And it's very, it can be very stressful when you're dealing with people that have competing, you know, like just not competing, but like different priorities and what they want to do and everything. But it was a, it was a really good meeting. I'm so glad we did it. And we put kind of a bow on their estate plan, which was a huge milestone. This has been a long, 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 long time coming. Um, so that was something that, you know, happened this week that, uh, was, you know, pretty, I would say not emotional, but it was a big deal for us. And I'm glad, uh, glad that's behind us and and we can kind of move forward, but we made some moves that I think are going to be really beneficial for everybody and kind of a win-win scenario. But I just, I was thinking of that because you mentioned your grandma's house and, we had some tough conversations about like what happens after your parents are gone, what happens after, you know, loved ones are gone. And then having that conversation while you're in the, you know, like you don't know how you're going to feel when that happens. So it's kind of tough to predict like, okay, I think, you know, who knows when my parents are going to be gone, but when they are, what am I going to do with the land, the property, the, all that. 
and I, I'm bringing this up because you mentioned you, you're very, it seems like you're very steadfast in that you want to keep it in the family. Um, and it's, it's hard because you know, saying that and doing it are, are difficult to carry forward and things change. So I'm curious on your take on that. Like my, you know, it's, I was listening, it's kind of emotional for me to talk about too, but like, I'm just thinking about my parents and I, God, they're so great. And they've been awesome to me my whole life and anything I ever needed, wanted, whatever. They were just sounding boards, right? What they needed me whenever I needed them. They didn't meddle in my life as you know, like they wanted to keep me as arm's length as I wanted to be, but were always there for me. Mm-hmm. And they're so great. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to my dad talk about this and he may listen to this episode and I, I love you, dad, but he, uh, you know, he was like, I don't want to know what you're going to do with this after we're gone. Mm-hmm. He he wants to die in the place that he's living, mm-hmm. right? Not like literally, but you get the the yeah. gist of it. Like they don't want to put put in a home like nobody does, like obviously. But um, he's he's like don't, just don't talk about it, kind of thing. Like you know, I this is the place where I want to end up, and and you know, he wasn't emotional about it at the time. I'm sure he think when he thinks about it, he is. But like that's so hard. It's such a hard thing because you want to honor your parents' memory. And at the same time, it's like, you you know, what do you do with it that makes sense after nobody's living there that you are, you know, and your your family members with? Well, I don't know. This is a big topic. But we, but, got, but we got the unique ability because of what we do to be able to do something with it to, to keep it, you know, because you and I are in a position that by taking those family homes – if we do want to keep them in the family, we can pay them off with making them investment properties and we can pass them on to our children and, and, and we can say, Hey, this is important enough that, you know, I could say, Hey, Skylar, you're going to get this property and yeah, grandma, your grandma's house is going to be yours and you can live in it or you can rent it. And you know what? I will sell to you and I, I will do a subject to financing <laughs> deal or whatever, you know, or, uh, but Thanks, I, pace. yeah. And, uh, you know, you can make payments to me, but if I die, you can just have the house, but you can write, you know, I don't know the specifics on, but you can put in title that it does have to stay in the family and it, ha- it has to be passed on. You can, but like, okay, I'm going to, all right. With all of everything that I just said and you said, I'm going to take a different tack on this and Please say, do. Please do. okay, devil's advocate here. Like what if things change and like you're now you're handcuffing your kids to, a property that maybe they were like, I don't want to live in Omaha. I don't want to own rental property. I don't want to like, what then? Like, what if they're like, I like, I'm really talented at whatever I'm doing and I'm going to end up in New York or LA or China or wherever. And then you're like, are you going to make them hang on to that? And like, what do they do with it? Are they, are you going to make them have a rental property that gets run into the ground? Well, I guess I put a stipulation on there. Then uh, if you don't want it, then it has to be passed on to, you know, my brother or my brother's kids. Okay. So you give them the first right of refusal to, uh, on, on yeah. buying the property. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Actually, so, that's good. Yeah. So, you know, in my, my brother is as passionate or maybe even more passionate about the property than I am. Yeah. Uh, so much so that in, and at one point he's like, Hey, I, I want this house and it doesn't fit his needs cause it doesn't have a garage and he needs a big garage space. But he's like, I would custom do a garage here. And if my brother was that passionate about it, I would have that conversation with him. Yeah. You know, but it will stay in the family one way or another for at least another generation or two. And hopefully I can figure a way out where it continues. 
and what by what I'm doing to this property will continue. And if you feel passionate about the property you're, that you have, you could tie up some, you know, you're in a better position than I am. So you could tie up funds that, t- that directly uh, go to that property. You could say, Hey, this is a, you know, this money is set aside to maintain this property as the you know, Dashner. Sure. Uh, you yeah. Know, no, I get it. Like, Steve. And you probably want to, you, maybe you'll get such a big deal that they're going to make a museum out of it just so they can come, you know, people can see where Owen grew up. <laughs> here, here, the famous right? Owen Dashner grew oh, up, the, the podcaster of podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I yeah. was just I was just wondering if it is you all want to keep it in the family so much that you were thinking of adopting me into the family. Some, <laughs> so some this house this house has a little you bit know? more this house has a little bit more meaning to me though because this is the house that when my family came to this country this is the first house that they rented. And then and then and it's the only house my grandmother's ever lived in. And it's a house I was, you know, when I was born, that's a house I was raised in. So this has a lot of meaning to me. And it's also in a part of town that's up and coming. And it's a great property. And it's one of the nicest houses in the neighborhood, especially when I'm done with it. It is a great spot so, where it's located. And, and like, listen, no, like, I I totally get all, all of that. And this, you know, there's... There's sentimental value, which trumps actual value in a lot of lot of different cases, and I I totally understand it. I just like it's so interesting to see how this all plays out, and I'm not me or you in particular, but just in general when generational wealth is passed on, yeah, because people don't have the same goals. Yeah, my kids are not going to be the same as me, no matter how much I try and drill that into their heads. They don't <laughs> want to be me. I don't blame them one bit. And they may have different aspirations, and I may have a kid that wants to live in Europe or whatever. I don't know, yeah. you know. And and so I'm looking at it like, and and like I said, every everything is everything is subject to your own circumstances. But yeah, it's what what I had, I <laughs> you had looked a, at your watch. No, how, no, how are we doing? No, no. I had a proud dad moment, and you guys know this already, but the listeners don't. But uh, we were listening. I was taking my son to basketball, and we were listening to the podcast and our podcast, and. In there, uh, we got talking. I asked my son, I go, hey, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And I know what it, the answer is, basically. And he goes, oh, you know. Football I'm, player. Football player, you know, or, or basketball player. I'm going to be an athlete. Professional, Professional athlete. athlete. Mm-hmm. And he's dead set that that's what he's going to be in life. And, and more power to him. I'm not going to kibosh that dream in any sort of way. And then I go, "What? but if you were not that, what would you be? And he's like, well, it's not an if. You know, he's like, but. He goes, I would, um, I would be a sportscaster. <laughs> on the radio and or a podcast sportscaster is what he said and i go okay and then i go that doesn't pay very well and so, then and then you showed him your bank account <laughs> so <laughs> you showed him the rear radio uh profit and loss statement <laughs> yeah it's like, like, okay there's, there's a thousand dollars in that account right now carson <laughs> so so then i said I, <laughs> more like negative yeah one but I go, I go, okay, I go, but how, I go, that's great. You want to be a sportscaster, but I go, but that does not pay the bill. So how are you going to fund that, that dream? Because I do think you should follow your dreams and your passions. So those exact words out of them. He goes, well, I'll, I'll do some rental properties or investment properties to, to fund my dream. And those, that's how he worded it too. Perfect. And I, and I was like, I was like see it's sinking in. I was like, yes, yeah. that's exactly what I want to hear. But I, you know, I didn't want to like elaborate or get too big on it. I was like, no. I, was, I was like, I go, that's a great idea. Yeah. I go, you can use real estate to as a stepping block to get to what you really want. Or if you do become, or I said when, when you do become a professional athlete, you should take that investment put in there. So when you're not a professional athlete, because the average professional athlete, I think is three years or something like that, 
that they stay in professional sports. Really? Uh, I go, I go, you should be taking that money, investing into real estate. And then that way you can keep on continuing with whatever dream of it's a sport, sports casting or whatever. And you can fund it with the, with the, with your investments. And he's like, yep, that's exactly what my plan is. Da, da, da. And I'm like, oh, oh I'm dad just, moment. <laughs> I'm just thinking what my surname is going to be when you all adopt me. Is it going to be Dashna cash? Kashna, dash cash, dash cash. Dash cash. I like that. Dash That'd be yeah. a great hard money lending company. <laughs> Actually, that is really good. <laughs> it yeah. is. Yeah, I'm just, I just wondering, you know. If I don't have a non-compete and we end up selling liquid lending, I'll, uh, that maybe that'll be my next hard money company. Want to talk dash, dash cash. cash? Yeah. With that, let's get into today's golden, golden nugget. nugget. This week's golden nugget is brought to you by JM Real Estate Capital. Hi, it's Rob, JM Real Estate Capital. We're the money guys that you need to know for all your real estate investments. Talk to us. We can do what your local bank can't or won't do. We don't have millions. We have trillions with a T to lend. 844-WE-CLOSE or go online at jmrecapital.com. That's jmrecapital.com. JM Real Estate Capital, smart solutions for the real estate investor. Today's golden nugget. So in light of all of the stuff that we've been talking about with generational wealth and planning ahead for future generations and all that fun stuff. So today's golden nugget is get your financial house in order by contacting an attorney to help you start an estate plan. But actually not before you do that. In addition to doing that, get life insurance locked in at a really, really, really young age. The the younger you are, the better of a time it is to get that locked in. And I'm going to tell you why. It's cheap. <laughs> it's cheap. You can get term insurance if you want to just cover the basics. You can get, uh, like, and I'm not going to quote numbers here, but you could probably get an insurance policy of a million bucks if you're in your early 20s for, like, I don't, I'm going to say 50 bucks a month, maybe. And so if I'm 20, or less, if I'm 22 and I'm listening to this, I'm going to be like, yeah, hard pass because I don't want to tie up any, you know, drinking money into uh, in, getting a life insurance policy. But I'm going to tell you why this is important. So I did this when I was 22 years old. I got a $150,000 uh, variable life policy. And what that does is it's not a term. Uh, term insurance is what most people think of. They think I'm throwing money away and... Uh, it's just going to basically like picture renting an apartment for 20 years and then you move out of that apartment. You have no equity at all. Mm. That's what a term insurance policy is. Generally, there's an expiration date on it. If you get permanent life insurance, which, and this is going to be probably a hot topic here, but there's whole life insurance, there's variable life insurance, and there's like kind of hybrid different types of policies. And basically the gist of this is it's kind of like owning a house. When you first buy a house and you get a mortgage for it, most of your payment that you pay every month is going to go toward interest, not principal. It's the same thing with a life insurance policy. The longer you own a permanent insurance policy, the more principal pay down you're going to get over time. And if you have other options where you can put money into and get tr better tax treatment on those uh, options then you should absolutely do them. But if you can couple that with a life insurance policy where you're getting tax benefits and plugging money away that is actually accumulating over time, and here's where I'm going with this, you're guaranteeing your insurability. And this sounds like who gives a shit when you're 22 or 25 or whatever it is. 
the older you get, the more stuff pops up that you couldn't plan for. And you don't want to be me who got diagnosed with skin cancer when I was 40 years old. And I thankfully already had some permanent life insurance in place, but you don't want to have somebody, you don't want to be like, oh, I'm healthy. It's no, there's nothing to worry about. And then all of a sudden you're 40 years old and you go to get a life insurance policy and you've had skin cancer or some other type of disease that they're going to underwrite. And they're going to say, yeah, you're not a good risk. And your, your policy is going to be like either crazy expensive or you're not even going to be able to get one. Now, the other added benefit to getting a permanent life insurance policy is the fact that you can borrow against it just like you can on a home equity loan. So if you have paid into your permanent life insurance policy over years and years and years, that amount will build up just like a uh, an equity account would for real estate. So you're building up equity by paying, paying it down over time. And it's the same thing with a permanent life insurance policy. And you can actually borrow against that tax-free. Okay, just like a home equity loan. That's how it works. So couple that with your real estate investing or whatever else you're doing, and you're going to be in a much better position when you get to be 40 years old and you have some health scares or you just want to protect your family better and you have more options that way. So do when you're young and it's cheaper and easier instead of when you're older and they're like you have stuff pop up because then it's too late. So do you know if agents encourage whole life insurance or well permanent life insurance or term life insurance? Yeah, well, when you sell insurance, the insurance company wants you to sell whole life. Plus, it pays you a lot better as an insurance agent. So I, I sold insurance for Northwestern Mutual for uh, a year. So I, did, I had my Series 6, 63, whole life, disability. Like I had all the licenses and I, I knew all this ins, ins and out. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but like I did this. Did, I, have you sold life insurance? Is, is this the one profession you've never done? No, I, was, I worked for American Family. I thought, I yeah. thought so. Both of you are that So... For one year. <laughs> if, if you're a li- So here's the thing. If you're a life insurance agent, uh, you are compensated better for selling a permanent life insurance product opposed to a term policy. Term policies are cheap. Therefore, the amount of money the insurance company takes in is not as much as a permanent policy. And this is common sense, right? Yeah. So the company who is the insurance company, so like let's say it's Northwestern Mutual or New York Life or whatever, they're taking in money and they're distributing money. So this is common sense. If somebody's going out and selling a policy that's permanent insurance and it's overfunded, and you can also do these, by the way, you can put more money into it than it actually takes to have the policy. So it's like you're overfunding it. Mm -hmm. And please, God, don't anybody sue me for this because I'm no longer (laughs) a caveat here. I'm no longer an insurance agent. Our license have expired a long time ago. Yeah, thank you. So, um, but you can, you used to be able to overfund these policies to where you're putting extra premium payments in there, right? And so it goes to build up your equity in the policy. And therefore you have cash value in that life insurance policy that you can borrow against later on. Right. So there's, and there's a whole rabbit hole you can go down on this stuff, but it's uh, like, and there's like, uh, what's it called? Infinite banking is based on uh, permanent life insurance. There's a lot of that stuff. And, and actually banks actually buy policies like this. So they buy policies so they can park cash. So they're not taxed on it because you're not taxed on the gains in a life insurance policy. Like you are in, um, you know, the stock market. If you sell a stock, is it possible for you to use your whole life? Your whole life insurance policy as collateral when boring like with a bank. You can, but the bank will discount it. So it's usually, and don't quote me on this, but it used to be like 50%. So they would take your cash value and they'd say, okay, it's worth actually half of what, what's in there. Okay. And they'll use that as leverage against it. But the better move is you can borrow like a lot 
from directly from the life insurance company that you have the policy at. Mm-hmm. So if, let's say you build up, you know, 50 grand in uh, in equity in your life insurance policy, you can borrow some of that or a lot of that and use it in real estate deals. And I've done that. I have personally done that multiple times okay. over the years. Is it is it difficult? Let's say that someone has a term life insurance. Is it difficult to switch it from term to whole? It is not. Okay. In fact, that's a great question because you can convert your policy from term to permanent, and it's it's more right, obviously, yeah, right? Yeah. And the older you get, the more it's going to be. Yeah. So the younger you are, the better it is to lock this in and get you know get a mortgage. Essentially, is what you're doing. And let me guess: if you convert from term to whole, you lose how much you pay in term. It doesn't change. It's gone. It's, yeah. Yeah. Everything you paid is like rent. So basically, the earlier, the better. Basically, yeah. That's what you're, you're renting a policy versus owning the policy because if if you have a whole life policy that stays with you until you die yeah, or a variable life and variable life, if, if nobody knows what that means, it means it's tied to the stock market. So you invest, you don't invest, you put money into a life policy mm-hmm. and part of that is tied to the stock market. So you can get additional gains on what you would normally get over a fixed rate return. Okay. okay? Yeah. Not a life insurance agent. I, I, thought, make I thought you meant variable asterisk. life, like you could die tomorrow, you could die tomorrow. Yeah, so tomorrow. variable means the interest the interest so return the, that you're getting on the policy the is inter- variable. The yeah. inter- the not like is you're going to die or you're not going to die. Okay. Yeah, it's different. Okay, yeah, the interest is variable, not the life. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Do you get it, Demos? I got it. <laughs> with all this talk, it's time to get into today's podcast with Michael, Michael McDonald. McDonald. Straight off the golf course. Look at him. He's got a polo on right now. We know you were out golfing today, weren't you, Michael? Thinking about it. Yeah. Definitely thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. On that on that note, <laughs> what is the best course if you could only play one in the Las Vegas area? And uh, this is for avid golfers. What's the one you pick? Yeah. So for avid golfers, I have to say Revere because I live five minutes from it and I played it the most. So I really enjoy it. And plus, it has an amazing view of the Las Vegas Strip. So I may have mentioned this to you, but did you know that a buddy of mine is the GM of the Revere? Yes, I'm yeah. still I'm still waiting for that that buddy special. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, apparently, he doesn't need uh, you know me being his buddy isn't uh, th- th- there's no quid pro quo there. I don't think. So and you ever called and said, "Hey, I'm coming down to golf." No, he's hooked us up, okay. but it wasn't uh, like a free round. But we got you know a discount, like a like an in state uh, <laughs> whatever from him. But uh, no, I would say um, the course that I loved was Cascada. Um, we, I got to play there one time and it was like the white glove treatment, man. That place really? is sweet. Yeah. Have you played there? I haven't. No, I'll have to check that one out. Cascada? Oh my God. So it's owned by Caesars, right? And it's mm-hmm. their high roller course. So whenever somebody comes in, that's throwing a bunch of money around, obviously not me, but, uh, <laughs> somehow I squeaked through the screening process, but I got to play that and they like, it is bananas that course is i mean it is so manicured and so nice and you have to play with a four caddy so we were playing this oh probably five years ago i bet and um you you literally get on like they greet you and it's like over the top nice and then you get on your you know your golf cart and you can actually drive your golf cart into the clubhouse like there's it goes through a waterfall and there's like this huge waterfall thing like right when you walk in the door you go to the locker room and they have like a brass plate with your name engraved on it it's it's on the lockers. It's crazy. And then I, uh, I have it was, it was awesome. Cool like, club. What's this is that? In Boulder. This is in Boulder, huh? Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. it is. It's you gotta please go. That that place is awesome. So, um, but it's like I don't even know what it costs now. Six hundred bucks or something like that for a round. It's crazy. It's probably Ryan Pineda uh, golf there. <laughs> uh, I've got, I've golfed a couple country clubs here in town and. They were okay, you know. Uh, they they haven't been as impressive as I was expecting, but this one sounds very impressive. So I'll yeah, be checking you it out for sure. Go to that, and I will come with you. <laughs> there we um, go. Okay, now, a real quick question though, before you get, what does that say in the back wall behind you? You have big light up neon sign behind you. What does this say for the people that can't see it? Good question. It's the Virtual Millionaire Show. It's my podcast. And what is the Virtual Millionaire Show? Like, what type of people are you interviewing? Yeah, so essentially, like teaching people how to start a real estate business, but also how to scale one. So like, I think a lot of people get into this business, including myself, and it's a lot harder than we think to like grow a business where essentially you you envision stepping away and like being on a golf course while your team is still out pumping deals and everything is running smoothly. So we, we show people how to essentially just delegate out little things like transact, you know, like the, the stuff that we shouldn't be doing as business owners. And what of all the guests you've had, like, do you have a favorite guest or a favorite show? Yeah. So David Tupin, um, young dude, I think he's 23, 24 at the time I interviewed him. He, he bought like a couple thousand apartment units within the first two years of getting gotta, into the business. Guy on. <laughs> Mike, you should. Number? We're going to switch over to that one. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. So, so yeah. that kind of, did that blow your mind? Holy yeah, God. it really was just made me think like because I asked him on the show and I was like, dude, why like why did you just go right into like these big deals? And he's like, well, I went to Grant Cardone's 10X conference. And I read his book and he's like, I just decided I wasn't thinking big enough. So we just started thinking 10X. And next thing you know, he did his first deal. I think it was a 24 unit. And then all of a sudden he's like, why would I mess around with 24 when I could just buy like 100 units? You know, and so then that's what he did. How do you, how do you finance that, though? partners <laughs> yeah partners. so i was i, I mean, would assume he he got involved in syndications and like was a sponsor on deals and kind of like grew that way is that is that what you your takeaway was yeah exactly and i think the first one is yeah he just brought one partner into the deal that essentially had the capital and then once you can like show somebody hey i i can do this i know how to find these deals you're going to have a lot of people who are interested in investing with you and i think that's what he did that's a good little nugget right there. Now, Michael, let's uh, roll roll this back a little bit. So you're in Vegas now, obviously, and you were not from there originally. What? Uh, how did you transition there? And when, uh, you said you've been there about five years. Is that right? In Las yeah, Vegas? Been, been here for October will be four years. I actually, I drove in 20 hours from Nebraska on my birthday. Um, October 20th, I, I drove in and, um, how I got here, my wife thought it'd be a good idea to just like move across the country before we started having like kids settle down and go to school and stuff like that. And so her sister kind of talked her into it. And then she approached me as I was actually starting to figure out my business. And she's like, Hey, I think we should move to Las Vegas. Keep in mind, I just started a business and I just formed a new partnership. And so I looked at her and I'm like, Okay, hold on a second. So I just started making connections in my real estate business. I just started a partnership and I'm thinking about quitting my job and you want to move across the country. Is that correct? Am I hearing this right? She's like, yep, that's exactly what I'm asking. And I'm like, okay, well, looking back, 
I don't even know what justified me to actually make that decision, but this is how this kind of transpired. And we, we can get into more detail. I'm sure you guys have follow-up questions on this. I met my business partner. We were in business for three months. We did two deals together. I quit my full-time job in four four months after doing a few deals, literally three deals. And I sold my house and I moved into a short-term apartment lease for three months until we found our spot in Las Vegas and just left. Like we moved across the country and uh, it, it was so wild looking back and even saying that out loud. Now, I, I have to ask you this. I know you've told this story probably thousands of times, but talk to us about your guru experience when you first started, right? So you, how did you get started in investing in general? Like what, what led you to it? How did you even find out about real estate investing? What, and what path did you take to get more educated? So you guys have all heard the radio commercials. Hey, uh, we're coming through town, you know, Damon, John, or whoever's on the poster show up, uh, learn how to invest in real estate with little to no money down. So my friend hit me up. He's like, Hey man, this, this, uh, company's coming through. They're going to be at the hotel this night, this time. He's like, you seem like an entrepreneur. Why don't you come check it out? I'm like, sure. Why not? What do I have to lose? You know, at the time I was a nutritionist and I didn't really uh, make any money. In fact, I think I was making like 25, 30,000 a year. Like it was just out of high college. And so I checked it out. And at the event, they said, hey, you need help. Like you should get a mentor. And we have a three-day event coming up in Omaha in two weeks. Um, so they sold, they upsold. And I think that was two grand. And at that time, I think I had a $2,000 credit card limit not even exaggerating. I had a $2,000 credit card limit and my buddy's like, Hey, do you want to split it? I'm like, "Eh, I don't know. Sure. Why not? So split it, went to the Omaha event at that Omaha event. They pitched a $20,000 upsell for some one-on-one mentorship. Of course they did. Yeah. And I'm like, at first they sold me on the dream because I had never made any amount of money like that at one time. Like, you know, real estate agents, you know, listen houses, sell, you know, make a $10,000 commission. I'd never made the $10,000, $20,000 fees that they were talking about with, with wholesale real estate. And so at the end of that, I actually took them up on applying for credit, which ended up getting me 60 grand on credit because I had a decent credit score. 60 grand. And I put $25,000 on my credit card. And I had no idea how I was going to pay it back. And <laughs> I'll never forget, man. I, I got home from the event that day and my wife... I am, st- I am stressed just <laughs> thinking about you having this conversation with your now wife. <laughs> about, so, like, so, hey, I know we don't have any money, but we let's go ahead and max out these credit cards and uh, get, get this uh, education in this yeah. business I want to do. It's It's bananas, man. Looking back, like... At the event, I'm on the phone with my wife and I'm like, hey, so here's here's what they're telling me. You know, here's the deal. They're going to show me this is, my, you know, my education to become a real estate investor, essentially. And she's like, that's a lot of money, but I believe in you. She's like, if you want to do it, um, that's your decision. So I made the decision and I get home from the event. And the very first thing she tells me, I walk down into my laundry room. I'm like, what are we doing? You know, she's like, this is weird she has a basket sitting on the, the, the dryer 
and it was a basket basically to reveal that I was going to be a new dad. I, I I had a feeling that's where you were going with this. <laughs> and she's like, I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want you to be thinking about that the entire time while you were there. But uh, we're expecting a new baby. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and then you slowly walk into the other room and cut up your credit cards. <laughs> it was like, too late, man. Spent. It was already spent. Yeah. Oh, man. So you went all in plus on uh on real estate education and it sounds like that was uh geared toward wholesaling right and that that became kind of the path that you chose to start your business so what happened after that like you you mentioned you know this event was in Omaha Nebraska you were living in Lincoln Nebraska at the time correct mhm and you had just met a dude you did a couple deals together like what happened next how did you parlay this into where where you're at now yeah. So what happened next is I went back home. I, I started plugging into their education and it seemed like it was kind of just really outdated information that had been just like thrown out to the masses, which I believe it was. And the methodologies that I was learning was essentially just making lowball offers on the MLS. And it just, I couldn't get an offer accepted doing that. And so I was failing and failing and failing. And then I, I met a gentleman actually at a Lincoln RIA. Um, shout out to Jim, Jim Stelic. <laughs> I, I just talked to him yesterday. Jim That's just funny. texted me this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jim was pivotal because I paid him an additional you know, amount to essentially just rub shoulders because I was telling the guys who was, I paid the 25 grand to him like, hey, this isn't working. Like, they're like, are you sure you're doing the stuff? I'm like, yeah, I'm doing the stuff. I'm, I'm making offers. I pretty much burned my realtor out at the time. And um, essentially, Jim showed me how to start, you know, going direct to seller. Like, hey, let's write down some addresses. Let's let's send these people some mail and just be on offense. Um, you know, don't wait for the, the on-market property. Go find the off-market property. And so that's what I started doing. And, and after about seven months... I actually landed my first deal from a FSBO on a fourplex in Lincoln that I wholesaled for 200, I think it was 211,000 and I contracted for 180. And the day I cashed that check was the day that I realized that this was going to work for me. How long, how long of a time lapse was it between the time that you shelled out 25 K on your credit card that you didn't have? And then your first check for 31000 which basically paid for your entire tuition. It was almost eight months. Like it was, okay. it was a long, it felt like forever. And my wife actually midway through that experience, she came up to me and she was like, hey, is this actually going to work? Like these interest payments on these credit cards are kind of crushing us right now. Like real, realistically they were. And I forgot to mention part of that journey to getting that first deal. I actually... Um, got a phone call from the education company like hey you know Michael how are things going I'm like hey uh, not good uh, it's this is really hard and, and I'm, I'm struggling a little bit because I'm keep in mind I'm working a full-time job right this whole time and they're like well you probably need like a more personalized uh, program like a one-on-one -on -one mentorship and I'm like okay well what do you mean and like talk about emotional decision they got me to put another 20 grand on credit card to pay somebody to have their cell phone number. So I'm 45 deep right now. And I haven't even made a penny in, in this business yet. Oh my God. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. So eight months go by. Well, good Lord. What are you drinking out of? That's a vat. <laughs> a five gallon bucket of <laughs> what is that? Bourbon? Good. Yep, um, something like that. So $31,000 eight months later, and that wiped out 40, basically two thirds of your, of your uh, education cost. I'm, I'm just going to, two thirds. Now let, let's say uh, you went out and you were doing the traditional education path and you paid, let's call it 45,000 bucks for a year's worth of education at a university in a professional related field. That's realistic, right? Like I don't have any idea what tuition is now, but it's got to be it right around there for a good school for a good school yeah like 20 20 plus k um and then well like creighton i don't know what they cost uh locally here but so i'm just real worlding this so let's say that you went down that path and you got your education one year's worth from creighton university or somewhere else and then like it's not realistic to go out into a professional job and then all of a sudden you make 20 or thirty one thousand dollars and you could pay for almost a year of education that's not realistic no Right. So this is like one of the few fields you could get into and accomplish something like that. That's pretty cool. So was there you I imagine you probably felt pretty validated getting that first deal done, right? Yeah, yeah, I was definitely that was very necessary because you guys I mean, I'm sure I don't know if anybody listening can relate to this, but like you reach a point where you start to have like doubts that this isn't going to work for me. And like, thankfully, I had kind of transitioned maybe some old habits and, and started really focusing on um, just a lot of like positivity, personal development and stuff at that time. So when when the times were really tough, um, I, my mind was solid, like I, nothing was going to get in my way. I, I, I was kind of I've kind of been known like when I put my head down, like I'm just it's going to happen, like I'm going to make it happen. And so that was pivotal because. I wanted to give up. Like there was, there were so many times where I'm like, I'm just, I'm burnt out. Like my wife looked at me and this is actually kind of what led to the, uh, the selling of the house. She's like, the only way you are going to have the success that you know you want to have in this business is if you're all in this waking up at four, going to a W2 from eight to five, getting home, having dinner at five 30 and seeing me for 30 minutes and then cold calling from seven to nine is just not working and it's not going to work. And so that was kind of the aha for me to say, okay, I, th- I think you're onto something here. I mean, props to her to realize that you kind of were missing that, that work life family life balance that we always kind of talk about and seek and that she saw it before it became an issue. Well, I, I, I also want to highlight the fact that like the whole spouse, spousal support thing is, is very difficult especially when you're first starting and you haven't gotten traction yet. Right. It's, I believe in you, honey. Right. you you can do this, right. You know what I mean? There's, there's gotta be that trust. And it sounds like, like, I mean, she really did believe in it, but I'm sure there were probably some tough times around the household when it's like, Hey, you know, like we got $47,000 worth of balance now on that credit card that we maxed out. But I don't know, man, I just think it's a freaking cool story because like you essentially burned the boats. You said, all right, I am really going all in on this. And then you like, like you really did. You made it work. And yeah. I'm sure it's been just nothing but rainbow since then. Right. Dude, I'm so, I'm so, yeah, totally. Right. I'm so happy you mentioned that though, about the support, because I, I always like, I have a lot of conversations with other investors and 
um, they're like, yeah, my wife kind of thinks this is like skeptical. Like, I don't really know if this is legit. And I'm just like, we've got to get her on the same page because I know how important that was for me at that, at that event though. I just remember hearing these, uh, uh, this guy talk about basically he built wealth through, through this uh, wholesaling and this business. And he, he mentioned, he's like, the landscapers are always come by and on a Tuesday afternoon or on a Friday afternoon and be like, dude, what do you do? How are you literally always home during the day? Every single time we're here, we're on here on Tuesdays at noon. We're here, you know, Fridays at four, like you're home all the time. What do you do? And it just was kind of like a realization that I had. I'm like, man, that was me four years, four and a half, five years ago. And now I'm sitting here and my landscapers are outside and it, and it just like, anyway, full circle, huh? Full circle. Yeah. No, that's great. So I, I'm just, what, it, what was the conversation like, man? When, when you, so Ryan, Ryan Omel, he's your, uh, am I pronouncing that right? Omel? Omel? Yeah, Omel? you got it. Omel. So Ryan and you, uh, your, your Lincoln business partner, you said, Hey, we're going to make this a thing. We're going to start buying properties together. We put, you put a plan together, a business model. And then shortly after that, you said, I'm moving halfway across the country. What was that conversation like? How did you sell that to your partner? I, I like, I'm just fascinated with this conversation. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you asked because I'll tell you exactly where I was when I asked him. I was in Russ's market in the side. Uh, there's like a little like meal service area where we literally would have our meetings because we didn't have an office. And so I actually asked for his blessing. I didn't tell him I was going to move across the country. I think he probably received it as I was telling him, but I said, Hey, um, this is going to sound crazy, man, but what do you think about me moving to Las Vegas in a few months? And I wish I had recorded his face because <laughs> I, I can't even imagine what it looked like. But uh, he paused and he was like, well, um, that's a good question. He's like, if I were you and if I were me, you, tw- you know, 20 years ago, because he's, he's about 20 years older than me. He's like, I would have probably done that because once you start to have family, and kids, you get pretty anchored down with the schools and the activities and everything else. And so I'm like, I cannot believe you basically just gave me the blessing to move across the country with a new partnership. I don't think he wanted me to. In fact, he'll tell he'll tell me that now. I was like, yeah, I knew this was going to be tough. I didn't know if it was going to work out, and thankfully it did. I ran into him uh, at a meetup or something in the last couple of years, and he was telling a little bit of that story. Was he? uh, Yeah, about how the partnership. He's like, I really wasn't expecting. I think actually we're. I don't even remember. We bought one of the properties you had listed, and and then I got in the conversation. I don't remember if it was in person or the phone, but yeah, he got he got talking about. He's like, yeah, I really wasn't anticipating this. (laughs) He goes, and I really didn't want him to move. (laughs) No, I I've always I'm just endlessly curious about that that whole topic because like I'm sure you guys uh, like everybody knows someone who has worked in a business with a partner that has moved away. I'm, like everybody I'm, has that. I'm dealing right? with that right now. Right. Yeah. And and so there's generally some resentment, whether it's implied or like, you know, right in front of you about the person that's, let's call it stuck. The person that's stuck in the location where you guys originally agreed you were going to operate 
and then one person moves away, even though you may be carrying your weight with doing a lot of things. There's that unsaid thing like, must be nice, must be nice being in Vegas <laughs> while I'm here in Lincoln during the winter uh, looking at hoarder houses. <laughs> Jerry, <laughs> you're in Florida. <laughs> no, but I'm just curious. How, how, so any tips for overcoming that? And how do you go about if you're the one that's going to be moving? What do you like? How do you make yourself indispensable still, even though you're not there physically? Uh, there's got to be challenges. There's got to be ch- tips and tricks, I imagine, in there. Yeah, I mean, you just have to have so much trust. You have to you have to really just be on the same page about, hey, here's what I'm responsible for. Here's what you're responsible for. And it helps when you can continue to have success. If things wouldn't have kept rolling pretty much without like, uh, you know, a blip or whatever. Um, not that we didn't have challenges, right? We'll talk about some of those, but it was just, we just knew that we were going to be okay. Like we, we both burned the ships. He quit his full-time appraisal job of, you know, a long, like quite a bit of time. And so we, we kind of needed to make it work. Like he already had investments in real estate. I didn't. And so I just wasn't going to take no for an answer. Like I was going to figure it out no matter what, how to make sure that our partnership was successful because it's like a marriage, right? We committed to it and we committed to setting out with our goals. We knew exactly what we needed to do to make it happen. And we we just reverse engineered it. And I was essentially in charge of the marketing, the sales and bringing in the deals and he was on the rehab side with just making sure that the projects that we were taking on were successful. And so like we divided and conquered and stayed in our lanes. And as long as the leads and the deals were coming in, he had projects to work on and we were making money. And that's all that really um, mattered at that time. That I think, sound, I mean, you, you kind of describe the recipe for success in that type of a business. If you have ownership over the inputs, right? So the sales and marketing aspect of it, getting in front, getting leads coming in that you can convert into deals. And then right, basically the handoff occurred, sounds like when you got the deal and it closed and then he picked up basically what's going on in the inventory that you currently have. And are you like, or, or am I wrong there? Did you disposition everything that you had? Like, how did that look? It's changed quite a bit. So at that time, initially, I didn't even know what virtual wholesaling was and I didn't necessarily quite believe it yet. Just kind of like most people don't really believe that wholesaling wholesaling is a thing. And until <laughs> I would tee, I would tee Ryan up, he would go on the appointments, but he didn't like, I, I tried not to make him drive to Omaha. And like we had some leads coming in in Omaha. So I would essentially basically negotiate the deal. Like he would just go like shake the hand and, and, and build a little bit more rapport. And then I would close them over the phone. And sometimes you would get the contract in person. Um, the one shift that happened was when he wasn't involved with any of it. And I, I talked to a seller that I actually texted, cold texted. It was a great neighborhood, District 88 in Omaha. And I just remember another investor who was at that house prior to me texting this lady made an offer that was a little lower than she wanted. And I asked her, I'm like, why didn't you accept that offer? And she's like, well, I just want a little bit more. I'm like, well, if I could do a little bit more, like as in like a thousand dollars more, would you want to work with that? And she's like, sure. I'm like, okay, where do I send the contract? And I emailed her the contract. She signed it. And that was like 
a total mind shift. My, my, I was just like, what just happened? And the guy who actually made the offer called me because he knew me because I blasted it out as a wholesale deal. That was like three and a half years ago. And he's like, dude, I know you're in Las Vegas. What just happened? I, I was just at that house, like meeting with that seller. What? How did you get this deal? Was the other guy Owen? <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. It was actually uh, Sean, I think his name. Oh, Sean French? Yep. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> He's been on here, the homeless guy. Um, so Long-haired hippie, you mean? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, okay, wait. Let, let's uh, actually... What, let's real quick describe, if you could, what your current business looks like. How many? Who are the people? Who's doing what? Yeah. So right now, um, I'll start with I have an executive assistant. And I'm going to say the location because I think this is interesting, right, to kind of figure out how do we manage all this? This is uh, we're all over the place and as far as the country goes. I have an executive assistant. She's in California. She kind of helps keep everything organized. Um, and then I have, and he's an implementer, but he's essentially like our IT guy with like websites. He's in Maryland. <laughs> um, he started out as an intern and then he moved. So we, we kept him going. He's really helps us with systems and process. He's really good at that stuff. We have a, I have a marketing manager who like helps me run all my ads, like Facebook, PPC, like content, that kind of stuff. Um, I have an acquisitions team. One's in Omaha, one's in, two are in Las Vegas. So I have three acquisition managers. I have three lead managers. They're all in Belize. And I have two data managers and another cold caller in uh, Philippines and, and one in Mexico. And then what else do we have here? Uh, we have a full-time bookkeeper in office in Lincoln. And I feel like I'm missing someone. I think that's it. I mean, how do you handle all the language barriers, the different accents? I mean, it's not like you're like picking one area and dealing with one accent. You're you're doing like all different types of cultures, accents. I mean, do you, how do you bring that together to all work as a well-oiled machine? Yeah, I forgot I have a TC, full-time TC in Lincoln too. But uh transaction uh, coordinator. Yeah, transaction coordinator. You know, it's a great question, man. Uh it hasn't been easy. You know, the virtual, like there's just, there, there, nothing can replace. And that's why I was really, I, like, I really wanted to do this in person because it's just, it's a, it's a bit of a different feel, right? But when you, when you can't like shake somebody's hand, like I didn't even meet my acquisition manager for six months until I flew into Omaha and like we had dinner together. And he's like, oh man, you're like taller than I thought, right? Like, uh, <laughs> so, so it's just one of those things where we have, we have uh, huddles. Every single day, we have a department huddle. We've got it departmentalized because not everyone's going to need to know accounting. Not everyone's going to... And I have a disposition manager in Texas. I forgot to mention that too. Um, 14 people later. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just one of those things where like, it feels crazy to like tell you guys that and then have all these people over the place, but we've just made it work. Like everybody knows what their, their number is. We follow EOS. And it's an entrepreneurial operating system, if people haven't heard of that before. And uh, we have regular, like, meeting rhythms. We have expectations for every person. We have somebody who essentially oversees each department, if you will. And uh, we just do the best we can to stay on the same page. And obviously, the, the, the culture and the camaraderie has been tough 
with everyone in every different place. That's been tough. You have a ton of staff. Like, how the heck are you managing that as far as the amount of people you have? And then, and how much business are you seriously doing to have 10 to 15 people? Yeah. Well, the management is not easy. Um, it, the, the hardest part about managing all of these people is like virtually holding them to, yeah, virtually holding them to all the expectations that we have, you know, because it's, it's different if you're like in person. I, I just feel like there's a little bit of a different expectation because you can't like not actually put in the work, right? Like if, if I can't see you all day long, you could be eating lunch for three hours. You could be doing whatever, right? So it's like extreme amount of trust. And so the management is basically just spreadsheets. Like we have, everybody has a number, expectation we report those daily and the numbers don't lie like if they're not hitting their expectations then obviously they can't continue to be on the team and so that's how we manage seriously my i take the worst notes of anybody you've ever met in your life so hang on here you want to hear what i have here Please. for for notes i'm going to give you some highlights okay doobie brothers with a question mark no idea uh so i have what's the best conference you've ever been to working virtually how does that work with business partners and team members what's your most profitable deal best golf course in vegas be on offense i don't know why that's written there what does that mean <laughs> so just be on offense in general. You might have been drunk. The way and the way to wealth. No, the why and the way to wealth. I was like, we protein. Okay. And, we and thanks for being... Michael, thanks for being my partner. I am moving away tomorrow. McDonald. <laughs> was that my... I don't know if that was it. But... <laughs> hey, if it makes you feel better, for some reason I have on here with a question mark, Owen's shirt. Well, what shirt were you wearing that day? Michael... Hey, hang I on. I have. Can you see what shirt he's wearing? I have Michael in quotations. Alexa, can you write me a book? <laughs> I think that is what you use. <laughs> While I take a bath, McDonald. <laughs> I don't think that's what I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember any of this. Hilarious.